it's Crystal. Hey, it's Jessica. We're two friends in two different chapters of life coming together to chat about life, love, work, family drama, and everything in between. Join us as we lean into living out loud and navigating through life's messy challenges on this journey to find joy in being intentionally human. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another Saunders session with Intentionally Human. Hey, guys. We're really excited to be back today. We have a really cool um, young lady to chat with us. I'm really excited for you guys to get to hear her story, and hopefully you will find her experiences just as inspirational as I do. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to you, Tara, and let you kind of introduce yourself and give a little background. Okay. Hi, guys. Well, as you said, I'm Tara. Um, I'm a recent college graduate. I just recently graduated in May. And well, I guess I'm going to be talking a little bit about my my story and what I've been up to for the past few years over across the pond in Spain. Yes. So Tara kind of danced around it, but she did graduate. She did go to college in Spain. And so we were going to kind of pick her brain a little bit and see if she'll share a little bit about that experience as far as what it looks like to be a college student abroad and that journey for her and just the culture in Spain, how she adapted, um, all of that good stuff. So with that, Tara, what, what drew you to, to studying abroad or even looking at Spain to, to do your college? So, uh, well, I've always been interested in the Spanish language and when I was around 18, 17 or 18 years old, I met my, one of my closest friends, her name is Solana, and she was from Argentina. And we met at her uncle's restaurant, which I was at the time working at, and we just really hit it off and we became the best, the best of friends. And anyways, after she left Florida, because she was only here for a few months working, and then she went back to Argentina, I uh, started university. I started my first year of university. And during that year, all I could think about was the time that I got to spend with my, my, my new friend, uh, Solana. And I just, I don't know, I felt very inspired to continue practicing the Spanish language. I forgot to mention that when she was there, I practiced Spanish with her a whole lot because I took four years of it in high school. Anyways, I hope I'm telling this in a way that makes <laughs> sense. Uh, so yeah, I started my freshman year of university at Stetson in uh, Central Florida, and I don't know, I, I loved the university, I loved the campus, and of course, I love where I come from, but I just wanted, um, I don't know, I wanted a little bit more, and uh, like I said, I really wanted to be able to uh, put, like, practice my Spanish a little bit more, and so I originally wanted to study Spanish in um, Argentina, so I wanted to do maybe a semester abroad in Argentina, and that way I thought, okay, well, if I study in Buenos Aires, which is where my, my friend is from, then I could have a whole semester just being nearby her, and so it sounded like a good idea, so I went to the, the little um, office in my university, the International Studies Office, I can't rem remember what exactly it was called, but I went there and I started talking to them about what my possible options would be for study abroad. And unfortunately, they didn't have any programs to Argentina. So um, even after they told me that I wouldn't be able to study abroad in Argentina with them, at least, of course, I wanted to do some program that was outside of the university I could, but that just seemed really scary. So I didn't really look down that route. Uh, they told me if I was interested in studying abroad still that I could look in Spain. And my options in Spain were Barcelona and Madrid. I'm not going to lie, Madrid was really not my first choice. It was kind of not my plan A, B, or C, but it's where I ended up. Um, they only had business, uh, business programs in Barcelona, and I'm not a business major. I didn't uh, get a degree in business or anything. So I decided to go with Madrid since I, at the time, was studying English and Spanish and a little bit of journalism at Stetson. I decided, okay, well, I'll do a semester abroad and I'll just get my, sci my science, my Spanish credits out of the way over in Madrid. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of how I ended up choosing 
that I wanted to study abroad and then also how I got placed in Madrid. I didn't really have a whole lot of choice on where I was going to be placed, but that's how it happened. That is so cool. I um, applaud you because when you were saying that the other route sounds scary, I'm thinking that the route you took, I would never have been brave enough to do in college, especially not my freshman year. Like, holy cow, I'm in awe of that. So you did your stint in Madrid. Did you come back for a little bit or did you just continue to stay there? So after when I first got there, I will say the first couple of weeks, it was I wouldn't even call it culture shock because uh, I guess we'll talk about it a little bit later, but the culture wasn't super different or anything, Mm -hmm. but I got there the first couple of weeks and I was like, what did I do? I miss my home. I miss my family. I'm in this place. I'm from a really small beach town and Madrid is just the complete opposite. It's a huge uh, metropolitan place. There's no beach whatsoever. And so I was very overwhelmed my first couple of weeks and I was really thinking, you know, as soon as this semester is over, I'm going to go home, never looking back. And then, I don't know, I just, I really warmed up to Spain as a country and, um, and I decided after my first semester that I wanted to stay a second semester and routing, going, kind of going back to my friend from Argentina. So when she found out I couldn't come to Argentina, we started kind of plotting together, uh, how can we live abroad together? Because that would be really fun. So uh, she was, she ended up getting like, it was a stroke of luck. She found a job in the south of Spain in a place called Sevilla. And um, through her uncle, actually, that I used to work for, he had a friend who had some twin babies that needed a full-time nanny. And so she found out I was going to study in Madrid and she said, okay, well, I'm going to take this job in the south of Spain. So although we weren't in the same city where we were a few hours away by train, uh, I was still able able to go see her uh, many weekends and everything. So, so yeah, so my friend was living there and I think being able to visit her frequently and feel less alone and have this sort of like, I don't know, I, I was living the dream with one of my best friends that's kind of what like encouraged me also to to stay in Spain and I didn't really want to go home so yeah after the first semester I decided to stay a second and I stayed with the same program through Stetson at a Spanish university called the Complutense and yeah that's really awesome so I know that you had shared some of this before we got on the call so just I'm gonna call it out here when you first went right wasn't part of the program requirement to stay with a host family yes um, what was that experience like I stayed with a host family um I really wasn't quite sure what to expect with the host family I did I was pretty comfortable with the option of staying with a host family though because it was my first time ever living outside of my my parents home so I did like the idea of being with a family and not just thrown into this foreign country by myself so I I went in like preferring the option actually but with not many expectations um but I don't know I'm not sure how to describe it really because it wasn't a negative experience per se but I didn't spend a whole lot of time with the host family, which I spoke with a lot of other people I studied abroad with, and they tended, like, they spent more time with their host families, and they ate dinners together, and their families took them on excursions and stuff, and my host family kind of just, I would, I would come home from school, and they would say, hi, how's it going, but nothing more than that, I would come home, and, you know, dinner would be ready, um, and then breakfast in the morning was ready. But breakfast over there is really small compared to uh, American breakfast. So anyways, there would be like a muffin or something and a glass of milk. But that's not important. So anyways, <laughs> the, the food also in the host family, I will say, I thought it was normal. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to get what I can get. I'm not going to throw a fit and whatever. But they a lot of the food they gave me was frozen food that they would just microwave and um so I would I didn't have many home-cooked meals uh while I was staying there and if I did want a home-cooked meal I would just go to the grocery store and get some ingredients and cook it for myself but it was also kind of awkward because I felt like maybe I would insult them by doing that so I didn't really do it very often and yeah so 
I didn't have this, I didn't have the, the family feel that one might expect when going into a host family experience. Did they help you like kind of navigate the, the country and the culture and like, or were you still kind of left on your own to try to kind of figure that out? They, I don't know. They really didn't help me very much. I had what I did have, uh, who she's, uh, a really wonderful lady who's still in my life. She's one of my closest friends. Her name is Rocio. She was actually my program director. So she's the one that sort of organized my travel from uh, from Florida to Madrid. And she helped me choose my classes at the Spanish University. Anyways, she was the one that was really there for me. She helped me get my transport card that I needed for the metro and the bus and everything else. And uh I don't know. And so, and I would see her daily at the university. She was always in her office. And whenever I needed help, for example, also with getting my, my SIM card for my cell phone, cause I needed to get a Spanish number while I was over there. Um, she really helped me with everything. And she would invite me over to her house when I was feeling lonely, she would cook for me. And so she really was more of a family member or friend for me than my actual host family was. That's awesome, because I bet there are so many things that you don't think about when you go to move to another country like that, um, that would that would pop up once you get there, right? Like you said, the SIM card for your phone, for the new phone number, like just little things like that that pop up that are really impactful. So to have somebody there by your side to help kind of navigate that and know where to go to get it done, I bet was super yeah. helpful. Yeah, exactly. Without her, it would have been, I mean, just really overwhelming because when you think about it, it maybe sounds easy. Like, oh, I'm going to go find a cell store and find a SIM card for myself. It doesn't sound like an impossible task. But when I got over there, I didn't know the names of any, any cell services. I didn't know if there was like a certain company that maybe was a scam. Like I went in, I was kind of like skeptical of everything. You know, I didn't, (laughs) I didn't know which companies I could trust or which people I could trust for that matter. And so it was really nice to have this lady like guiding me. And um, so, yeah, it helped a lot. Awesome. Yeah. I, (laughs) I genuinely don't know. Like, do you Google that? How do you (laughs) start going into the university? Give you like a checklist? That's the thing. Um, I don't really even remember if the university gave me any sort of checklist or guide. I'm sure they did. I feel like they probably did, but it's nothing super memorable that can, is sticking out to me right now. So uh, yeah, I mean, you can Google things that you might need, but I, and Google is a really powerful in search engine. It's a great tool, but sometimes you don't even know what you need to Google. Right. So <laughs> it, I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's just a, whole, a whole thing. <laughs> you're not sure if you're Googling the right thing or not. Yeah. So how did it go with your classes? Did you make a lot of friends when you started going to class? And then, you know, you, they always say like that your friends become your family in situations like that. Like you really start developing a lot of deep connections with people quicker than probably you would if you had your family around you, because you would have to lean on people a lot more and be a lot more vulnerable straight from the beginning. Like there's no, like I can do it all on my own kind of mask that you can put on when you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) what train do I get on to get to this place? Yeah. So the friend thing is, um, that was, that was a really difficult sort of thing for me to deal with when I got to Spain. So I had the same mindset that everyone was going to be sort of in the same boat and we are all going to be scared and alone and confused and just also very excited to make new friends. However, the situation was not like that at all. Um, I actually, so the way that my specific study abroad program worked, um, it was my, so the, the program would choose students from different universities mm-hmm. and well, of like, you know, the students from different universities could apply to be in the program and I was from Stetson University, so I applied to be in this program, and I got in, and I knew that I was going to be the only student from Stetson, but I also had the mindset that everyone else was going to possibly be the only student from their university, 
Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening was I was the only one from my specific university. And then there were maybe five other universities from across the United States that sent their students into this program. Well, they sent them in masses. So from each university, there was a very large group of students and all these students either previously knew each other from their university or they made travel arrangements together and flew from their home state to Madrid and their program directors would do like little gatherings with them before classes even started. And I mean, my program director, she would hang out with me and do things with me, but I was the only one. So we each had different program directors, you know, dealing with each American university. I'm ho- I hope I'm explaining that in a way yeah. that makes sense. So anyways, I was the only one from my university. Everyone else already had friends, basically. And they they were all nice, but it's not like they were going there looking for more friends because since they had already made their little groups and stuff, it was really difficult for me to make friends because I'm, I'm, I'm not super shy per se, but I'm not always the most outspoken person either. And I was very intimidated by the fact that everybody else already had friends and I felt super weird breaking the ice and trying to, you know, break through the little clicky barriers that I think that we we tend to create sometimes. So yes, I, I ended up making friends. Otherwise, it definitely would have been a miserable experience and I would not have wanted to stay. But I I definitely made probably fewer friends than, than one might expect studying abroad because I really did expect to make friends that we're going to be kind of like family for life. Mm-hmm. So. so when you were studying abroad, I know that there were like students that came from other American universities, but were you guys also like mixed in with classes of just students that were grown up and lived in Spain and, you know, this was their university as well? And did you have that opportunity to connect with them? Yeah, so uh, we had the opportunity to choose uh, one class outside of our our program. So our classes themselves were all taught in Spanish by Spanish professors, uh, but all the students were from uh, from the United States. So while we were getting language practice and stuff and interaction with Spanish professors in that setting, we weren't getting the, um, the interaction with Spanish students. So they did give us the option to take one class outside of that sort of program. And I chose, um, a, it was an ancient philosophy class, and yeah. it was so difficult because I think that American education is very, uh, it's something that I love about our education, actually, is that the, the professors interact a lot with the students throughout the lecture normally. It's mm-hmm. not like they're just speaking and they don't stop stop speaking for an hour and a half I mean they speak they ask questions they maybe throw in some activities to really make the material sink in at least that's been my experience well this Spanish class uh, I was only one uh, that wasn't Spanish in there I think Uh, it was huge it was a very large classroom with I would say over 50 students which maybe doesn't sound like a lot but I was very used to um, a very small university setting where my classes had maybe 20 students max and so there were a lot of us the professor was um perched for lack of a better word very far away from where I was sitting and speaking in a very fast sometimes colloquial way because he assumed that everyone in the class was from Spain and understood him and it was also it was a philosophy class so it was just taught he was talking about like things that were just they're complex and hard to understand in English but it was my first semester there in Spain and I spoke Spanish but not to the degree that maybe I speak it now and it was just very overwhelming so but I did make a couple of friends in that class I'm no longer in contact with them but they they were very nice to me because they realized pretty quickly that I was very lost and (laughs) they they would sit next to me and make sure I was kind of you know getting the information I needed to they helped me spell some words while I was taking notes um so yeah that was that was my experience with the the one class outside of my program oh that's awesome so did you stay with your study abroad program all the way till graduation or how did that look like no because I didn't have the option to do that uh 
because Stetson requires a, uh, I think it was a junior seminar class, and I'm so sorry for the noise, if you can hear that. <laughs> uh, anyways, Stetson requires a junior seminar class, so uh, that means that I would have to be on the actual Stetson campus to complete it, and I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have to go back uh, home for a year. I just wanted to stay in Spain uh, throughout my studies. So what I did was I started looking at Spanish universities and I was thinking, okay, well, maybe they'll let me transfer some of my credits or, you know, possibly I could apply and get into one of these schools. And it didn't work out that way. So I went and got information and stuff. And I realized that there, since I had received an American education, um, the American education itself wasn't the problem. It's just the way that the credits would transfer. Um, the the Spanish universities wouldn't accept the American credits because it's just not the same grading system. It's just, it's not the same mm -hmm. at all. So I realized very quickly that the Spanish universities were not going to work for me. So I, one day was kind of just desperate at this point to stay in Spain. It was towards the end of my second semester. I was like, what am I going to do? So I Googled. American University near me and I really did not know what I was expecting to find I was just like you know maybe maybe there's some American University as a campus here who knows so uh seven minutes walking from my, my apartment was St. Louis University and it just seems like this huge stroke of luck and I walked directly to the campus I went into admissions and I said how do I apply <laughs> you know I want to go here <laughs> and uh they helped me they were very nice um it's a, a wonderful school. I really had a great time there. So yeah, I applied. I got in. Waiting to see if I got in was a whole different stressful experience, you know, because if I didn't get in, that was really my only option of staying in Spain. And if I got rejected, I would have to come back to the States. So uh, they let me, They I was admitted into their university. And yeah, so at that point, I had already completed my freshman year in Stetson. My sophomore year, through Stetson, but in Spain, and then I had two years left. So I completed my last two years at St. Louis University in their little Madrid campus. That is really amazing. I had no idea that American universities had campuses like that in other countries. That's really cool. Yeah, they, so apparently there's another American university I found out a few months ago, and it's actually a block away from St. Louis University in our campus. It's a little bit smaller, but I believe it's called um, Suffolk. I might be pronouncing it wrong. It's S-U-F-F-O-L-K. But yeah, so they have a little American campus over there too. And I never knew that was a thing before I even got to Spain, but I feel like it's a really cool, it's just a really exciting route for students to take. And if I had known about it before my freshman year of college, I probably would have even tried to do all four years over there because like the two years that I spent at St. Louis were just, it was an amazing experience. And it was, it had a very family, small university feel. And I made friends I'm going to have for the rest of my life there. So now I'm thinking, how can I become a professor over there? I, like, wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, how do I just get a master's overseas? <laughs> they do no, have I, masters. They have yeah. masters in St. Louis. I already have a master's, but, you know. Doctorate, you know? <laughs> I don't know that I really want to pursue a doctorate, but <laughs> I mean, something. I would love to go back to Spain. So I will share this with you really quick. I don't mean to derail us, but so my mom and I took a trip to Europe right before COVID broke out. And we went, um, we never made it to Madrid, but we did make it to Barcelona and Palma Madorca in Spain and loved it. I was going to say Barcelona wasn't my favorite at first, but then after we spent some time there, really, really enjoyed it. But Palma Madorca was my favorite place to go out of everywhere we went in Europe for that trip. It is beautiful. And so if there's like, anything there that I could do like I would be on it in a heartbeat <laughs> like it's one of my favorite places it's truly one of my favorite places in the world uh Mallorca is is just a really really beautiful, beautiful place and there's no way to just I don't think there's really any way to describe it I mean you can look at photos and videos and stuff but there's nothing like actually being there and I actually, I almost named my book after a flower that I saw in Mallorca, uh, but because I was just so in inspired by the entire island and its beauty yes. and 
the I don't know it was just amazing while we were there I was having mom google what can you like what can you do to live here <laughs> like what properties for sale like how can we make this work and you know my mom's like semi-retired now she's like I can't afford to live here like I'd have to go back to work because it's it's expensive um I mean yeah. it's just so beautiful uh but I was like well I'm not retired like what can I do for work here <laughs> like it's just one of those places you never want to leave like it is awesome well actually I mean this is just for you and then maybe anyone else listening if um if you're very very interested in living abroad in Spain and you don't really know how to deal with the the legal processes and stuff such as the visa there's um really great English teaching programs which maybe not it's not the ex- most exciting thing in the world I don't love teaching English but uh they have English teaching programs where the government will give you like a small um they'll they'll give you like a little stipend stipend each month thank you uh they'll give you a stipend each month and a student visa actually even though you're working but they give you a student visa so you have a legal way to stay there and work and uh and yeah so I actually I've considered that um but anyways there's lots of teaching opportunities in Spain especially if you're a native English speaker we might have to look at that. So Jessica, here's my request for you. Figure out a way for us to make money off of this podcast <laughs> so that I can go teach English in Spain and do the podcast and survive. <laughs> That's perfect. Because and support I'm my family <laughs> So that'll work. Yeah. So you brought up your book and that's, I really am curious because I am coming in blind to what your book is about. Mm-hmm. And I want, I want to hear what it's about because I'm like the fact that you're so young and have written a book, you're working on your second edition. One, how do you have the time? <laughs> you just graduated college Two, like, I just don't know that many people that could sit down and do that. Like, that's so impressive. So, uh, I guess I'll, I'll start from the very beginning. I was 17 when I started the book and I'll preface it by saying that it's a poetry book. It's not um, a novel of any sort. It's not like a, a long story or anything. It's mm-hmm. several different poems and pieces of prose. And well, when I was 17, I was in high school and I got this little black moleskin journal and I started just taking it everywhere with me. And whenever I I felt inspired or I felt a particularly strong emotion, I would write little journal entries. Uh, and the journal entries weren't always like, dear diary. A lot of the time, the entries would be a poem because I've found that that's the easiest way and most accurate way I have of expressing myself so for example I I write because I'm not great at verbally (laughs) expressing myself (laughs) I feel like uh speaking is sometimes quite difficult for me and I don't really say everything that I intend to say I kind of skip over parts so writing for me was just a really good outlet from the very start to to really express who I am as a person and you know to get it all out Uh, So yeah, I started with this little journal type thing when I was 17, and I took this little journal with me everywhere, and including when I traveled to Spain, which, so a lot of the poems are poems that I wrote over there, and uh, so yeah, they're, they're, it's like, I would describe the most of the poems, the, the theme, the, the feel, the genre, it's kind of like a very you know, young, young adult angsty type, (laughs) type book. I guess it's the best way that I, I can describe it because I was 17 to 21 while I was writing it. And I had lots of changes going on at all times. And, you know, I feel like at that age, you also kind of feel like everything is the end of the world. Uh, Sometimes I still feel like that, but (laughs) it's fine. (laughs) Um, So yeah, when actually when I decided that I was really going to publish it, because at this point I had filled out the entire moleskin, uh, I decided during quarantine, so COVID happened, I guess this would have been March of last year. Now, I can't believe it's already been over a year since this whole thing began. But so I was I was quarantined with a really lovely roommate. Her name's Kiara. 
Uh, she like became one of my very closest friends as well. And she's a very creative, motivated girl. So living with her really gave me, I think, the the final push of inspiration and motivation that I needed to really make this a thing, you know, have my book published. And so during quarantine, I started looking at different ways that I could have, um, that I could publish the book. And I decided that um, I would publish it through Amazon because they have a software. It's called Kindle Create. And you basically put your manuscript in there and you edit it and everything. And anyways, you send it into Amazon. They approve it for you. you make sure it's nothing like you're not publishing some sort of manifesto. <laughs> and um, so anyways, yeah, I, I sent it to them. It was approved and uh, and I ended up having it published. And the book is called, I guess I, I could have started with this. It's called A Coffee Date with Myself. And the name was inspired in the fact that I really just love coffee and I would go out on little dates with myself. I, I really enjoy my alone time. So I would go out on these little coffee dates and you know, when I'm by myself, I'm really able to um, get the creative juices flowing. So, yeah. First of all, I want to say I love that title. That's really cool. Um, and second, I just think that's amazing that you figured out a way to make that all come together, right? Like, I had no idea that you could do any of that through Amazon. So the fact that you just had this idea was able to get out there and figure out how to make it come to life. Like, that's amazing. That's super cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that is really neat. And I love that it's poetry and that's so intimate. I really think poetry is always one of the most intimate things to read because you are like seeing inside of somebody and the fact that you are sharing it, like, and gosh, like how old are you? 22? Yeah, I'm 22. Oh my God. <laughs> like you're so young and you've literally lived lives like that people only dream about. Like how cool. I hope that you like t- take a step back every now and then and just go like, I'm doing this. Yeah. Sometimes I really do need to take a step back. <laughs> and um, and I think that I I get lost in the little intricacy in intricate. Oh, I can't pronounce this word. In, <laughs> intricacies. <laughs> I can't pronounce that word at all. Wow. Um, I get caught in the details of life and um, it is really refreshing to take a step back and, um, you know, look back on what I've done and what I've accomplished at, at a young age. But I don't know, sometimes I also, I feel like I get a little bit of imposter syndrome because yes, what I've done is is cool and exciting, but I've had a lot of support too. I mean, my parents have really supported me throughout this entire thing financially also. Um, And so I I always feel like when people congratulate me, it's really, um, I don't know, I always feel like my parents should be in on the congratulations as well. So well we'll congratulate them like congratulations parents for raising (laughs) such an amazing girl and for being able to provide her the opportunities to do these things because that is like really neat and I mean just the fact that you I'm assuming were raised with that like kind of independent spirit because I'll tell you right now like if you told me I could go away for a semester I would dream about it and talk about all the time when it came down time to do it I would back out. Like I do not have the independence to follow through with it. I would have to know somebody. I would have to have some sort of safety net. I'm a little bit too chicken shit to follow through on that. So the (laughs) fact that you can do it is amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. So I want to get back to the book really quick. So you said you got it all published and put together through Amazon. So I'm assuming people can find it and purchase it on Amazon as well. Yes, so it's only available on Amazon, Um, and I will say right now I'm in the process of having the second edition published, so I have the manuscript all all typed out and everything, Uh, but I'm having some printing issues. I'm not, I really need to figure them out, so Right now, I've been letting people know about the book, but I would love for anyone that's possibly interested in checking the book out if uh, maybe to wait a little bit until the second edition is out, because I really want to, you know, make sure people are getting the best version of my of my work as possible. So 
Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Well, we will definitely share that link so people know how to find it. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious as to kind of like what that experience was for you, right? Like it's it's a lot to put yourself out there and to the world like that and, and open yourself and your your like innermost thoughts, right? With the world. It's not like just sharing it with your family or your closest friends. Um, so I can imagine that that was really scary, but also probably pretty cathartic. Yeah, I was, so I was actually way more worried about my family and friends reading it than, um, than strangers, because at the end of the day, I'm not sure how much the opinions of, of strangers affect me or matter, but I was like, wow, what if, what if my parents or something think I'm a weirdo for writing these things? Because it, it were really intimate things in some cases. I mean, some of them were maybe about the beach in the ocean or, you know, nature, things like that, that are inspiring to most humans. But a lot of them were also about like romantic experiences. And I was not ready for my family to read that. But I also knew there's no way that I can just prevent my parents from reading my book. So either I'm not going to publish it, or I'm going to publish it. And I'm just going to have to deal with that at a later time. Uh So I published it. I was very nervous about my family and everything reading it. But of course, as soon as I published it, all of my family members, my parents and my aunts and uncles were like, oh, well, we're going to get a copy or two. Let's hand them out to our friends, you know? So (laughs) um, they all know the deepest, darkest parts of my mind now, I guess. Um, We have experienced that as well. So I, I do feel your pain on that one. I've definitely gotten a call or two after releasing some of the episodes and they've been like, wow, um, you really overshared on that one, didn't you? Oh, no. So I, I feel you. <laughs> um, so you brought up the romantic piece. Um, now, because I'm just such a girly girl, like how is dating overseas? And how is that like main character moment for you? Um, so have you seen the Lizzie McGuire movie? Yes. She travels to Italy. Yes. So uh that's the image that I had in my mind (laughs) 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 I will I just want to let everybody know that that's not what it's like at all um I guess you you have your moments but um something that I've I've noticed kind of in the dating boy girl scene in the states is that you know if you go out to a bar or somewhere I feel like here it's pretty normal for a guy to come and speak to you first Mm -hmm. um I don't know maybe guys here are more forward this is speaking from my own experience maybe people have had different experiences to my own but uh in Spain I, I feel like um guys maybe aren't as forward as they are here and they sort of just they'll look at you and stuff, but they don't come up and say hi. And it's, it's definitely, it can be annoying when you're kind you want them to come say hi, you know, because you don't want to be the one that goes up first, or at least I don't. And, um, but I don't, the, every, everybody's nice there, boys, girls, everyone is very warm and friendly, but in that aspect, like when it comes to speaking to someone romantically, in that sort of way uh it's not I don't know it's not as straightforward as you might think it is um I I did have a Spanish boyfriend for a while I guess I could I could throw a little bit of that in there but I don't <laughs> want to get caught up on it um <laughs> it, so but that ended about six months ago so a little bit of a sore topic but he and his family were really great um but at the end of the day just it wasn't going to work out. So yeah, so there's that. So do you guys like, how do people connect, right? Like, so if the, if they're not quite as forward, or maybe as direct when you're like going out, like casually meeting people, do they do online dating? Is it more like up to you to kind of pursue? Or what does that look like? You know, I, I suppose that it's more of a, I'm guessing. Okay, so I, I have to say, I did meet my ex on uh, on Tinder. Um, I'm not super proud of it, but <laughs> that's how we met. And I was just really excited to meet people when I got there. So I downloaded Tinder. And obviously, it's not how you're going to meet your best friend. But I was like, you know, I'll meet, I'll meet someone, meet their friend group, you know, start like a little networking 
mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, and anyways, I think that maybe other people meet meet one another through friends of a friend and like that, maybe in a more organic way. But um, from my experience, not a lot of people have come up to me and spoken to me and, you know, been really forward with their intentions in that way. Um, I, I do have another boyfriend now. He's not Spanish. <laughs> He's actually Italian. So oh. I'm, I'm jumping to the other side of the Mediterranean here. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. We like Italian boys too. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm really liking my Italian boy, but I did meet him organically, which I'm very proud of. It was a friend of a friend. So, <laughs> and we Madrid, so, and cause he's living in Madrid as well. Um, but yeah. So that brings me to a question and I'm sorry to like switch off the dating, but because you were there in like in Spain and Europe is, I mean, much closer together, they have a really good like train system, like rail system to be able to travel. Is that something that you get to do regularly? Like do you get to explore other countries and kind of check stuff out? So uh, yes and no. I've had a kind of a strange experience with traveling through Europe. So I Originally, since I only thought that I was going to be there for a semester, I only had a visa that would allow me to legally be in Spain as a student for a semester. And I, during that semester, I traveled to uh, Germany and I traveled to um, England. And let me think if I traveled to any other countries. I don't believe that I did. I traveled a lot inside of Spain because, as I mentioned before, my best friend was living in the South. And I also, it was just really easy to take a train to different Spanish cities. And it was very affordable. Uh, my, my phone got stolen my first semester. And oh, no. I had to buy a new phone. And so that kind of took a lot of money out of my budget and it made me cancel a few trips. So, but after my first semester, I did want to travel more once I realized that I was going to stay. However, jumping back to the visa thing, I was no longer legal, completely legal in Spain. I was in the process of renewing my visa. Uh, which meant that I couldn't really leave Spain and go to other countries, even inside of the European Union. Um, I, I was just, I mean, the chances of them actually stopping me and, and telling me, hey, you can't enter back into Spain were very slim, but I didn't want to risk it because, you know, it would stink to be stopped and then have to be sent back to the U.S. And it would, you know, I don't want to deal with sure. that. So, Uh, For the second semester, I really wasn't able to travel outside of Spain at all, which ended up being kind of, it was kind of a blessing and a curse, but it was amazing because I got to know lots of different uh, Spanish places. And at this point, I've seen so much of Spain and I've gotten to fall, I, I just keep falling more in love with the country. And so after that first semester, um no second semester I'm sorry I believe is when COVID came or I can't really remember no there was one more semester before COVID came and I also didn't travel a whole lot during that time and I believe it was for the same reason as before for the visa visa purposes because Mm -hmm. the, the process of renewal over there for renewing your visa is so slow that once they send you your new visa you it's already expired so like it gets you and it's literally expired so I kind of ended up in the cycle for a little bit where I just didn't have any legal documents and I couldn't travel I could go home like once a year because I could once a year if you're not if you're waiting on your papers to be renewed you can get something called an authorization of return but you can only take that like you can only have the issued to you once a year so that I use that to go home for Christmas or the summer so anyways then COVID came and I really wasn't able to travel much outside of Spain at all or outside of even my apartment you know Um, we're locked up and so yeah I I have a lot of places in Europe I still want to visit awesome yeah Yeah. there's so many great places in Europe that are on my bucket list so (laughs) I can only imagine that being there and being so close to all of them that 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 interest is really peaked 
Yeah, well, in a week, I will be in Italy. I'm actually going to go see my boyfriend over there and meet his family. So oh, I'm nice. getting to know a different European country. I'm very excited. That's so exciting. How has yes. that been? Because I know, like, I live in Houston, which is like a melting pot of cultures, but I don't necessarily get to experience those different cultures outside of going to a restaurant. So you getting to like live in Spain and experience that culture and now going to Italy and experience that culture, like in, in a way that I think is like the best, right? Like hanging out with the family, like eating a home cooked meal, like those are the best ways to, in my mind. So how is that? Have you met other cultures and immersed yourself in them? Um, so it's, it's actually, it is definitely the best way to get to know other cultures for sure. Uh, spot on. Um, and so I, I definitely have been immersed in the Spanish culture for about three years now. So, I mean, just living in the country and having been with my Spanish ex and making lots of Spanish friends. And, you know, I've I've been exposed to many different aspects of Spanish culture. However, I will say that it being a, a Western European country, most I feel like most of the, the westernized world, for lack of a better term, is... Mm-hmm just very similar we're all very very similar to one another we have our different foods and stuff and maybe different rules of etiquette but everything in general it wasn't like it it wasn't like jumping to a completely different world where I had no idea how to act it was you know you can sort of navigate using social cues and context clues and and all that. Uh, so, but I am very nervous. I'm, I guess this is my first time meeting the, um, my Italian boyfriend's family. So, um, I'm nervous about that. I'm sure that it's going to be just fine, but I, I actually asked him today. I was like, are there any like manner things I need to know? Is there something I really shouldn't do? I mean, you know, do I hold my fork? Which hand do I hold my fork in sort of stuff? And I mean, I was being very melodramatic, but um, yeah, it's, it's really the cultures. I feel like um, they have their small differences, but all in all, it's not this huge, huge thing. And I think that we, we tend in the United States, something I've noticed with myself and with my friends is that we really romanticize Europe. It's kind of like a, a little storybook in our heads and um it's the the funny thing is like actually living there and realizing that it's a really normal place where people live their lives and have jobs and have problems because it's not this like little you know small small streets everyone rides a bicycle type thing that maybe sometimes we we have in our heads yeah, yeah. Oh, I feel like you just called me out <laughs> yeah I was gonna say I think we, well, we have all been there yeah. 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 We've really all been there. I think it's um, we have a really large film culture here in the States and just the movies that we watch and the media oh, we yeah. really contribute to our, our way of thinking. Like that. So yeah. when we when my mom and I went to Europe, one of the things that we noticed um, and we noticed this in Italy because we spent most of our time in Italy, but like life seemed to be a little bit slower, like people stopped at the coffee shops in the morning they would even if they didn't sit down they would gather around like the bar they would get a pastry and they would have coffee and they would socialize same with like all meals really like dinners they would sit and it was more of a social event um to where like in america i feel like it's how fast can you get in and eat and get out like the servers are bringing you your check and they're like helping you to kind of get out the door to where in italy that you have to ask for your check right like it's a it's kind of a different cultural aspect that I didn't know about until we got there and so I was like wow this is really cool like that they're like a very socially like driven or focused kind of a culture they're still productive like they still get to work and they still do their stuff but it's not like it is here in America where it's very fast-paced and like the focus is on work and achievement Mm -hmm. have you noticed anything like that in Spain is it kind of similar Uh, Well, as I I said before, there's not a lot of differences, but this is one of the biggest differences and probably one of the biggest reasons that I really wanted to stay in Spain is because things are a bit more 
slower paced. And when I say that, I don't mean like, I think that maybe sometimes uh, people might think that uh, people, there's a, a stereotype of people in Spain possibly being a little bit lazier uh, because they've got their siestas and stuff, which is their, their like nap time and everything, which it's a whole different topic, but yeah, we may have to come back to that though. Cause I, I am kind of curious about the siesta, but we'll come back. We'll put a pin in that. <laughs> back on that. So, but the life is slower paced in the sense that people dedicate time to themselves. They dedicate time to themselves and to their family and to building real human connections with their friends. And it's something that I really love. You know, you stop by the coffee shop in the morning and you get your little like one euro espresso or like, Cafe con leche, and it's just, it's, um, I don't know, it helps you to enjoy the little things in life a little bit more. And then after work or after school, you go to a little terrace with your friends or your family, and you grab a beer, you have some tapas, you, you know, you just sit there and you talk. And it's, it's not like here in the States, I feel like we save all of that time for ourselves for maybe the weekend, if we get the weekend, you know, if we don't have to work on the weekends. And um, I don't know, I just I think that they they do they 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 respect their their personal personal time a lot more. And I love it. And um, they also I've noticed a lot with the younger people in Spain, like people in my generation, when I go out with them, we're not sitting on our phones we actually interact and we talk a lot, which oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I think sometimes in the, obviously in the States it, you're not always on the, your phone when you're with your friends, but um, over there, especially I noticed that you kind of just, you set your phone to the side and they're great conversationalists. Most Spanish people that I know are really good at talking and maintaining a conversation. And uh, I'm trying to think of, I feel like I'm going to have to send my, daughter there so my daughter's 15 and they will all sit together in the same room and just communicate through their phones and I'm like how do you guys like look up like have a conversation and to them that's like the like the weirdest thing that you're like asking them to speak to each other you know so Mm -hmm. it's not that they don't like they do they talk and they have conversations but not on the same level as what I I did in my generation and we didn't have cell phones so we didn't have a choice but to talk to each other but <laughs> but I'm yeah. like worried right like what this next generation is going to look like because they don't have that same level of conversational skill development that and it's not required right like I mean it's just it really yeah that's the thing is you really can get by mo- mostly just using your phone to communicate and just sitting on your phone on social medias and stuff and of course they, I mean, they have iPhones in Spain, they have everything yeah. we've got here, but they, mm-hmm. they do still, uh, I think they really value that face-to-face time. And uh, sometimes I still find myself being kind of bad at it. And it's really refreshing to be over there and like, and spend time with, you mm-hmm. know, my friends and set technology <laughs> to the side and yeah, and have human yeah. Cause that's like the most important thing in the world, in my opinion. Awesome. Well, that, I know, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jessica. I was going to ask, has that made you like being over there? And when you come back, do you find that like your conversations are different, that you tend to go a little bit deeper, try to have more of like that emotional connection, which can be off putting to a lot of people that I think do live stateside because I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard growing up, like, don't talk about politics, religion, like beliefs, like too early on in a friendship or things like that. And I feel even like when I visited Greece and talking to people there, like the first thing they would ask me is like, well, who are you voting for? (laughs) And I was like, oh, like kind of shocked at first. And then I was like, they're not asking to judge me. Like they're genuinely curious. And this is how they know how to connect with an, an American or, you know, so I thought that was really interesting. Are you seeing that difference? Like when you start to come back to visit? Um, yeah, when I, well, when I come back to the States, I think each time I come back, it's just a little bit stranger, you know? Um, I'm, I really don't know how to describe it, but like sometimes I find myself getting a little bit irritated even when I come back because um, everything here really is very, sensitive and politicized and we're just especially now a really divided country like I'm, I'm not going to get into politics but where it's just like I come back and it just feels like tension all the time yeah. and 
but over there sometimes being an American does follow me and when I meet new people they'll they do ask me you know oh so you support so-and-so you know they um and yeah so um I do think that maybe the the connections that I make over there can sometimes be uh possibly a little more genuine however I do want to say I am a person that does not like small talk I'm not even that I don't like it I'm horrible at it and so I avoid it with every particle of my being and I I just really can't stand it so I think that sometimes I end up having conversations that are maybe less surface level just on accident I, I probably make some people uncomfortable sometimes I hope I don't but I I really try to avoid small talk as most I can over there and here and my friends know that about me in both countries and that's funny. You'll fit right in with Jessica and I. We don't know how to not go deep. Um, <laughs> like every conversation goes like super deep. So <laughs> three peas in a pod here. So mm-hmm. I know we're running out of time, but I do really quickly want to like circle back to the siesta thing um, because I find this so interesting. And I didn't notice this so much in Italy. Like this didn't seem to be as much of a thing there. But in France, we did see like where a lot of the shops would close and they would close for lunch and they would close for like two hours. Um, and then the same in Spain, like they would definitely have some time carved out in the afternoon to, I guess, do the siesta. So I'm just really curious about how that works. Like, is that like a standard thing or is it that you're seeing that it's not so much anymore? Cause I feel like in some, maybe the touristy areas, maybe they don't yeah, follow I- it something in that in some parts of Spain is it's possibly dying out a little bit so in Madrid for example I mean Madrid is just a really huge um metro- metropolitan place like I said before and they the companies there unless it's you know a small business like a family-run business or something they won't shut down for the for siestas but in the south of Spain, at least from what I noticed, this was a couple of years ago and my friend was living there. I like if you went out at a certain time of day, I think I remember it being for maybe like 3.30 to 5-ish. Don't quote me on that. Um, the things would really shut down. I mean, you would leave your apartment like, oh, what am I going to go do? And even Zara would be closed, you know, and that's like a huge chain. So um yeah, so it's definitely, it just depends on what part of Spain you're in. Madrid, not so much. South of Spain is, I think, is where the siesta was born, though. So it's it's right. kind of... It's going. really ingrained. Yeah. And do they eat dinner really late? Or am I making that up? No, yeah, they, they eat dinner very late. I thought my, like, the first day that I was with my host family that they just forgot to feed me because it was like 9 30 and oh, I wow. haven't eaten dinner yet and here I'm I'm eating dinner by 5 36 you know and so it was like 9 30 and I kind of like walked by the kitchen I was eyeballing things to see if anything was happening and she was cooking so I realized very quickly that um I would just have to adjust my eating habits and now I have a really strange eating schedule and when I come back to the states it's really hard to adjust I bet I, cause we don't typically eat that late here in the States and a lot of restaurants, especially some of your smaller ones aren't even open that late. Um, or they're closing like nine thirty, ten 10 o'clock. Yeah. I think they're, they, they stay open very late. It's actually, I love it because you spend your day maybe working and then at night, like you get to go enjoy, enjoy the nighttime and have that time for yourself. Like I said before. So mm-hmm. Um, and then also dinner isn't usually the largest meal of the day. I feel like in the States, either we, like we have big breakfasts, but we also dinner, I feel like yeah, is it's a big one, our families and stuff and, you know, have a, a larger meal, but lunchtime there, at least from the experience that I, I've had is, um, that's when they really eat the, the bulk of that's their- why they need that siesta, right? Because they have such a big lunch, they need a nap. <laughs> yeah. I can relate. Um, and I was going to say, maybe that's why they're not really hungry for breakfast, because they're eating so late, <laughs> that they're probably not hungry at breakfast time. Yeah, I don't know that. Well, that's something that I would love to bring maybe a little bit more breakfast culture to Spain. Uh, more, you know, specialty cafes are opening up. There's a lot in Madrid. Uh, but like it's, there's still no breakfast culture you know here I like to have a smoothie my scrambled eggs a toast you know sustenance yeah. to be ready for the day 
And I feel like a lot of people over there are just, they're okay with a little um, toast with tomato and a small coffee and they're, they, and they're ready to go. But um, I am accustoming myself to that. I definitely, I will say like, I can do Spanish breakfast, but I miss, I miss my little American breakfast sometimes. So when we were in Rome, we noticed that a Five Guys, the burger chain was being built and about to open in Rome. And I was so surprised. I was like, of all of the American chains, Five Guys is what's coming to Rome. Have you noticed anything like that over in Spain that you're like, wow, I can't believe that we have this chain over here, this American um, chain? Yeah, they, they have KFC. And oh, wow. Yeah. Like, that was kind of weird for me to see. That, I mean, but I guess KFC is now an international thing. I'm, I'm sure they have it in, in different European countries as well. They have KFC. Um, I'm trying to think of something that they don't have that I really miss. Like Chick-fil-A, for example, is not oh. a thing over there. I, I feel do. like we need to make it a thing. That's like an American staple, I feel like. <laughs> Actually, when I go back in a week, I will be bringing several bottles of Chick-fil-A sauce with me because, <laughs> you know, you put it on anything and it immediately tastes like home. Um, so is Nutella a big thing in Spain? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was I mean, huge everywhere else we went. I was, I was so shocked by that. Everybody loves Nutella. Like it's everywhere. Like you, have, it's like ketchup in America. <laughs> like you yeah. can get the little packets of Nutella everywhere. I was like, wow. Okay. They have their own version of it. Um, in case any Spanish person is listening to this, I, I need to, to do them justice. Um, <laughs> the, they have Nutella, but they, they're the brand that I see most people eat is called Nocilla. And it's literally the exact same thing, but that's their, their version of it. And it oftentimes comes in like a cute little glass jar with like Aww. cartoon um, wrapping, like decoration on it. And I'm pretty sure every Spanish family I know has at least three of those cups that they like continue reusing in their home. So. <laughs> oh, so that's not just an American thing. Okay. So other countries do that too. We have glass jars too, that we would use yeah. as like cups and things. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah they do that too. Oh, that's awesome. And if there are any Spanish listeners, I apologize if I've mispronounced anything or anything like that, because I'm sure I have mispronounced some things, but I am not a Spanish speaker. So don't fault me, please. (laughs) That is, I mean, this has been so cool. I can't wait to get my hands on your book. First of all, I'll buy first and second edition. (laughs) And I just like, we followed you on Instagram. So I don't know. Do you want to plug your social medias before we let you go? If anybody wants to follow along with your journey, pay attention to when your second edition's coming out. Sure. So uh, my my account is private, but I really I'll I'll pretty much accept anyone that doesn't look like super creepy. But <laughs> I just like I like to be able to to monitor who's following me. But it's it's not really a huge thing. I don't post like a lot of private things or anything. But my Instagram is my name. So it's Tara, T-A-R-A, Picnic Pants. So my last name is Pecnic. And I just like to, I wanted to play off of the way that Pecnic sounds like Picnic. Anyway, so it's Tara Picnic Pants. That's it. (laughs) Perfect. Well, this has been so fun, Tara. I have really enjoyed just like hearing about your experience. Um, And like I said at the beginning, I do think your journey is inspirational. Um, I think a lot of folks your age and even older don't have the courage to do a lot of the things you do and and dream about it. Um, And so the fact that you've been able to to live it and experience it um, is amazing. And then write a book on top of it all is just just totally rad. So thank you for sharing your story with us and giving us a glimpse of what it's like to live abroad and just all of the cool stuff that you have experienced. I I really, really loved it. Thank you guys for giving me a little bit of a platform. It was fun. Absolutely. We're happy to be your practice spot for your future to come because I think you've got (laughs) lots of bright things coming. So I doubt this will be your your last show. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, you guys will have been the first to do it. So (laughs) awesome. Well, thank you so, so much. I, I can't wait to follow along in your journey. I know that I am going to just be all over Instagram, especially if you post from meeting your boyfriend's family in Italy, because you are living my dream right now. And I'm insanely jealous. (laughs) I will will definitely be posting from Italy. Um, I'm very excited. Whereabouts in Italy do they live? 
So they live most of the time in Milan. So I will be flying to Milan first. And then we're going to do a little road trip down to um, his family's beach home, which is in the Tuscany area, if I'm not mistaken, down down there. So, so okay. yeah, I'm spending most of casual. Yeah. yeah. If you weren't jealous before. Everybody eat your heart outs now. Yes, that sounds amazing. So definitely post pictures um, and enjoy it. And fingers crossed it all goes smoothly and well and you love your boyfriend's parents and family. Yes, for sure. I'm sure that I will, but uh, hopefully they love me. That's what I'm worried about. There's no doubt in my mind that they won't, so. Thank you. Awesome. Well, it has been so much fun, Tara, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for you and just I can't wait to come visit you in Spain one day. That's going to be my new bucket list item now. Awesome. All right. Sounds good to me. All right. Bye, guys.